Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details. Right now, you can get both Sprint's Unlimited plan and the iPhone XR with its amazing camera included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after monthly credit supplied within two bills. If canceled early, remaining balance due. Unlimited basic after 63020, pay $32 a month per line with auto pay. Data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to the 50th edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Stephen Jodderan here in Wisconsin. Joining on the line is Armand Kafai in Texas and Jake Watroba in Minnesota. Fellas, how we doing? Uh, I'm round of applause. Great. I'm feeling round great. We get a round of applause for episode 50. We did it. We, we, <laughs> we did, did it. it. We, we did it. Uh, we started from... Uh, Steven's uh, room in Frisco, and now <laughs> we're worldwide, I guess, right? Yeah, we are in, We are nationwide, at least, right? Hey, we did go international. We did have guests from Mexico call in. Uh, you, oh. We did interview, well, you guys interviewed uh, Keaton Parks from Portugal. So oh, that's that kinda, true. That counts. Yeah. yeah, that counts. Yeah. Hey, let me let me ask you, Armand and Jake, favorite moment so far of Uncle Sam's soccer podcast? For me, I would say my favorite moment had to be when uh, we interviewed John Strong. I was it was kind of a fangirl moment, really fun interview, and uh, it's also been a pleasure to meet all the cool guests that we've uh, interacted with and uh, stayed in contact with them. So I mean, can uh, can my favorite moment be a previous episode? Yeah, absolutely. It's like one I just just one I listened to. Uh, favorite moment of the show had to have been. Uh, the reaction to the U.S. losing to Trinidad and Tobago, uh, and you guys recording a podcast, you know, maybe an hour or so after after the, the result. Man, Jake, and, it's it's hilarious because we were like texting throughout it, and like as soon as it happened, we like just call each other like we have to make a pod, and we hopped on it like pure emotion, like pain, like sadness. And I wasn't did. I wasn't a part of the show then and that nope. like you could you could you could hear the emotion and just how pissed you two both were because of the result, just like anybody was. And uh that I think that one will always go down as one of my one of my favorite episodes. Oh yeah. I mean my I, I really enjoy the interview series that Armand and I did uh over the winter. I thought that was a lot of fun. We definitely 
gained a ton of insight and just made a ton of connections in U.S. soccer that I just didn't think would be possible sitting at a Starbucks uh, last summer when Armand and I were just drawing this stuff together. But uh, in future episodes this summer, we got amazing bits coming. We got some awesome interviews. So stay tuned for that. On this episode, we're going to talk MLS rivals. Jake thinks it's really it's all real man-made, these MLS rivals. Yeah, Jake hates rivalries. No, I don't hate rivalries, okay? <laughs> I don't know. No, 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 no. Nah, okay, we'll get okay. to you, Jake. We'll get to you. Kevin Baxter, LA Times beat reporter covering the Galaxy and LAFC will join us. But let's talk about MLS rivals and the rivalries within the league. As uh, Jake Petrova really hates them and thinks – I think they're all – part of me thinks they're very manufactured. No, okay. Here, okay. Before <laughs> we start putting words in my mouth, because that's what we're—that's what you two are doing. No. Let the record be known: I don't hate rivalries, and I enjoy rivalries. However, the Hudson River Derby is the most overrated derby slash rivalry in MLS. And here's why: How many have have either of these sides when they've played each other? Has it been a close game? Is it all? It seems like it's always. Four nil, three nil. There was close games nil. last season. When? Okay, okay. Well, what? What was? Whoa, 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 uh, I, I, I'll fact check to you, but keep going on your rant. Fact check me, because I think NYCFC's only won once, haven't they? I don't know. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, I'm gonna keep going. It's so overblown. It's like the most over. It's I don't. It's because it's two New York teams that MLS feels like it has to, you know, showcase these two teams. To, you know, to the rest of the. To the rest of the country, and I—I I don't care to watch it. I don't know if you—you you guys seem to care to watch it because you, you both reacted when I said I'm not watching <laughs> it. It's the most overblown rivalry ever. All right, so I hate to interrupt MLS you. Jake. Just, hate, to inter- okay. hate, hate to interrupt you. So uh, it, this includes a U.S. Open Cup match. So the last five matches before uh, this last match, uh, starting in 2016. So this is from uh, the most recent one. Will be the, the last one. Um, it was 4-1 to Red Bulls, 1-0 to Red Bulls, uh, 2-0 to NYCFC, 3-2 to NYCFC, a 1-1 draw, and then the 4-0 defeat uh, by the Red Bulls on NYCFC uh, yesterday. It will, will, this, so these are the most Jake, recent ones? Yes. Take that, okay. Jake. Jake's opinion is wrong. Take that data or data. <laughs> no, okay. Here's the thing, Jake. Here's the thing. The Hudson River Derby is good for MLS because it's inner city. But here's the issue. There's no history among these clubs. It's completely manufactured. I'll give you the best rivalry in MLS is not what you think. It's actually Montreal-Toronto. That is MLS's best rival because the cities genuinely hate each other. It is. I agree with you. The French versus the English. It's the Protestants versus the Catholics. It is literally everything that soccer is about is in that rivalry. Yeah, you can make an argument that Portland, Seattle is pretty damn good. But the uh, El Trafico, please, that's manufactured. Nobody, how can you hate a club that hasn't existed yet? Going back a couple years now. Well, let's wait and see because if if El Trafico... Is anything like the first El Trafico? I would say it's a pretty good derby, where you know where it's back and forth and drama involved and everything like that. I don't the feel s- like that exists with NYCFC New York Red Bull. It, it, I don't. I don't feel that there's as much passion behind it either, considering that it seems like Red Bull can't even sell its own arena for when NYCFC uh, 
comes to New Jersey. That's the other thing too. I don't. I hate the New Yorkers red, New Yorkers blue bit when <laughs> Red Bull doesn't play in New York. They play in New Jersey. Oh, um, how can that be a thing? You guys are both crazy for not even for not putting Seattle Portland at the top of your list. No, it's that, not. That rivalry, that, it can't. That, no, that that, that, that rivalry has existed since what, like the sixties and seventies, with like the whole uh, in the old NASL and the other leagues. Like that's like that's what you're talking about. When you're talking about a rivalry that's ingrained in. It's still like relatively young, right? But like, so is like I would say mainly soccer in the U.S. But I mean that rivalry is the pinnacle. Portland and Seattle do not like each other. It's and not the teams the same. don't like each other. It's, it's not, not the same the as same. what Montreal, no. Toronto have. It, it's dude, it's, that that's barely been a thing. The only no, 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 was, no. It's not because no, this is the only time that's been the only time soccer wise that's been like I'm not talking. That's oh, the wow. thing. That's the thing. If you look Port at the Seattle, don't like each other either. As in general, as cities, you, okay, you that's think true. Like, but here's the thing. That's why. That is why it's it's up there. If not, it's one A and one B. Okay. But the point being is, if you look no, at it's the one best, two. If anything, Port of Seattle is number is one. No. The, go go look through go look through that history. Go look through all that and then catch up to it and then tell me that's number Armand, two. Armand, Armand, the best rivalries in Europe. Are because of historic significance. El Clasico, what, who, the game that a lot of us watched, that that's I mean, rooted in, in political. It, it's rooted in, in politics, right? Ranger Celtic, also a, a one oh, that's rooted huge. in politics and religion and everything. I mean, you look at uh, even the North London derby be- between Arsenal and Tottenham. That has to do with the politics of the relocation of a club and, and just moving and, and land and all this stuff. That Montreal and Toronto encompass that. Portland and Seattle do too. But across the league, Houston versus Dallas, give me a break. It's separated by six hours worth of a straight road. What, what's the highway down there? Uh, I-35, right? Yeah, you you drive for six hours to get before you get to another city. There is no hatred between Houston and Dallas. Not so, even so, among. Sorry, 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 sorry to interrupt you, but uh, I I know you mentioned the whole like political stuff between uh, Toronto and uh, Montreal, but Portland and Seattle have have it rooted since the 19th century. I'll just a quick look up real quick when they were having rivalries over trading routes. Tell me that's not ingrained in, in, okay. in the culture. Okay, and that's why it's 1A and 1B. These are the two best rivalries. Two. I personally like the Montreal-Toronto bit because there's the language barrier. It's the To me, it's a little more of the red versus the blue that you get in Europe. Okay, fine. I'm, call me a little bit of a Euro snob. I prefer that one, but Euro I'm not snob. complaining about Seattle-Portland. No, but I know what you're saying. The rivalries are more... It's it. They have more of the passion through stuff the fans care the the fans care that's that's what separates those two compared to nycfc and new york red bull the fans care they show up for those games they hate the 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 opposing crowd like you said there are hit there's some history there i just feel like red bull and uh city is is just manufactured because based out of new york and mls is just it just wants to capture that market when when it's on TV, so they have to shove it down everyone's throats. Be like, hey, make, make sure you tune in to NYCFC in Red Bull, New York on Fox this Saturday. Like, I don't care. I don't want to watch it. 
It's terrible. Sorry. I'd rather I'd rather shove a fork in my eye than than watch it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, okay. But Armand, we, we I think it's what? All month long the MLS is promoting is it still Heineken week? MLS Heineken. Uh, I mean week? not because I mean what? There was the Hudson Derby this week and then Portland Seattle Cascadia Cup is uh on ESPN next Sunday and then Orlando Atlanta uh is also next Sunday. Um I really wouldn't consider LAFC NYC even a thing, but it's there. Yeah, but um, here's here's the thing. For example, uh, Atlanta versus Orlando is an example of MLS manufacturing rivalry because Orlando didn't have one. They, It's based on location. All right, the closest MLS club is, well, now it's Atlanta. Therefore, they're our rival. I'm hey, but see. you know what? Those crowds show up for those two matches. I mean, Atlanta packs in 70,000 people when Orlando comes to town. Yeah, people you know, care. And, and, that's, and this is the thing I was going back to with MLS. When they're putting like these rivalries, quote unquote, on TV, ML- I, I've always said MLS needs to be marketing the atmosphere at stadiums versus the soccer. And I feel like with these rivalries we talked about, like Portland, Seattle, Toronto, Montreal, and to maybe a lesser extent Atlanta, Orlando, you have those atmospheres. It's raucous. It's you know there, there, there's tension in the crowd with <laughs> NYCFC and New York Red Bull. You don't have that. It doesn't. It doesn't feel the game doesn't feel important to me when i watch what, it especially when i see red bull arena only has fifteen thousand people yeah what about other games uh rsl colorado that what the rocky mountain rivalry whatever they call that that no significance to the fans really houston versus dallas again some fans care but the atmosphere doesn't really carry that what about california classico that did I would say the California Classico did with the earthquakes and the galaxy because I mean you've had history of that since MLS just started. I mean I don't know if you if you've watched it. They packed Stanford Stadium. Yeah. So at 50, 50, 50, I remember one of the things that really like one of the moments I think that really made me like fall in love with MLS. I forgot which California Classico it was, but it was when Alan Gordon, uh, I think San Jose were down to ten men or something like that, or they just, no I think they blew a two goal lead. And Alan Gordon comes up the 90, 90th minute in stoppage time, nails a goal, and the commentator loses his voice, and the crowd just goes crazy. It was one of the most electric atmospheres I've seen. Uh, it's it's entertaining. It sucks that the California Classico is kind of being phased out for um, El, El Trafico. Tra- Tra- but, I mean, I think El Trafico probably has more potential, no? Yeah. No, I it mean, definitely does. I wonder if MLS has natural rivalries that has history. Like, I think... To a large you know, ex- they did. They did. They, there's one rivalry that no one talks about that the people that are really close to Dallas and Chicago always talk about the Bridgestone Cup. These two teams did not like each other, and it was created through, like, you know, like how, like, Boston, L.A., that kind of thing? It was kind of it was created like that through playoffs, through play. Is that what you're mentioning when you talk about natural rivalries? Well, I was going to say. Like on the field play? That and exactly that. And I think in in some part the New York versus New England – that transcends all sports. You just hate the teams. If you're from Boston, you hate the teams from New York. And I think that carries not necessarily with NYCFC, but more with the Red Bulls because you've, they're both original clubs and they've been in the league forever. You have some playoff back and forth. I think Henri's last year, they had the Eastern Conference Final. And, I mean, Gillette Stadium's lower bowl was packed. It was 32,000, 33,000. So it's not like MLS has manufactured 
the rivalries or the derbies, yes, but there are some hatred among clubs that just has stemmed from on-field action like Chicago-Dallas. I think Red Bulls in New England, you could put it in that uh, circle. What else do you think is there? D.C. United-LA going back, but the teams have kind of been irrelevant or one has been good, the other kind of not. These haven't met up all that much. No, it's it. It's one of those things that, like, I don't know. It's just kind of hard to have, like, an on-the-field, like, natural rivalry. I think Toronto-Seattle might be getting there at some point. Especially yeah. if, if uh, I mean, if they meet again, let's say, for a third time. I mean, it's early in the season, and I don't want to say anything. But if they meet again for a third time, like, I would have to put that in a uh, natural rivalry uh, like a Boston-LA in basketball. Absolutely. Um, Jake, Minnesota United, who's your rival? Well, yeah, I think you guys are definitely bearing the lead here in terms of best rivalry in MLS because obviously it's Minnesota United <laughs> sporting Kansas City. <laughs> I-35 Derby, baby. And I, don't, I don't even know if that's what it's even called, but... Uh, <laughs> I would assume that <laughs> SKC is our rival. I don't know. Maybe Chicago Fire due to who was who was your uh, who was uh, Minnesota's uh, rival in the NASL? If you do you know or no, because I'm not an NASL historian like you are, um, Armand. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not but I would, I would, I oh the like recent NASL. I would assume it had to be Cosmos. I don't. I mean, that always seemed to be a big deal when they came to town for the fans, at least. So I'm not sure if it was because we hated. Uh, the cosmos, or if it was because of the actual like, the or if it just because of the name. This is the, yeah, maybe Indy Eleven. I I I'm not sure. Like again, I I don't feel like Minnesota has a natural rival in MLS or well, in, geographically in it's kind of hard. Right, there's no team in Wisconsin for us to hate. So like we do with every other sport. Yeah. So. That's all I got. I don't know. Yeah. So we got, we, got, we got no rivals up here. No one likes us. Anyway, I don't know. We'll continue with this conversation on why Jake thinks MLS rivals suck. Wait, wait, and... wait. wait. I, I want to interrupt. So I did some quick research. Um, it says that there was a thing called the Flyover Cup between FC Edmonton and Minnesota. The name was chosen for Edmonton and Minnesota lying in flight paths for transcontinental flights, but often passed over by tourists. <laughs> We're flyover country, baby. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, yeah, I mean, final thoughts on uh, rivalry, Steven? Final thoughts here with rivals. MLS, they have manufactured too many. There's only a handful, if not maybe two or three, that are genuine, genuine rivals where there's, you know, lack of a better term, there's blood between the two. Other than that, most of the time it's, woo, yay, woo. Oh no, that's our rival. Oh no! Why the high pitched voice? Because Mickey Mouse is that you? Yeah, I, I, to me it's it's to me it's a little too childish. Like it's not proper Tottenham, Arsenal, Real Madrid, Barca, Inter, AC Milan, Dortmund, Bayern. Like you go to some games, or even if in American sports, like the Celtics hate the Lakers, the Yankees hate the Red Sox, um, Pittsburgh. Uh, Penguins hate the Bruins. Montreal Canadiens hate the Bruins. The Bruins. Everyone yeah, hates the Bruins. I hate I, the Bruins. You hate the Bruins. Me I mean, too. the Cowboys hate Pittsburgh, you know, if you go to the NFL. Um, I hate the Eagles. 
the, yeah, the Eagles versus the Giants or the Eagles versus – I mean there's – you generally just don't like that person or the team or the city. That's how it is. And I think if MLS could capture some more, more of that hatred, the games would be a lot more appealing. Like even if when we watch El Trafico the first game, I didn't get the sense that the two clubs hated each other. It wasn't necessarily a rivalry. They just so happened to be – 11 miles apart from each other. Or is that 9? I don't remember. Something like that. Something like that. It's it's distance and that when you when the rivalry is built on just geolocation doesn't necessarily make it for a good rival. Yeah, but I mean if you if you get any more entertaining games like El Trafico. We'll uh, see. It, it takes I'll, time. I'll, it takes time. I'll, you got to give it 10 years for it to really develop. Fair enough. Anyway, it's like, it's like next, a good wine. Yeah, it's like a good wine. Uh, up next is Kevin Baxter, LA Times. We'll talk some LAFC and LA Galaxy. Joining us right now from L.A. is Kevin Baxter. He covers the Galaxy and LAFC for the L.A. Times. You can follow him on Twitter at KBaxter11. Kevin, how's it going? All right. How are you guys? We're doing good. Ah, yeah, we're doing good. Crazy stuff going on in L.A. with two soccer clubs. You must be a busy man. Yeah. Um, it got a little bit of a break at the beginning of the season in that LAFC was on the road for the first six games. But uh, they're in the midst of playing five games now in 23 days. Um, so it's gotten busy with them. And then Zlatan coming into the Galaxy, that's created quite a bit of news. So, yeah, it is a busy, busy time. And then there's this tournament coming up this summer. You might have heard about the World Cup. That's going to be a big deal, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. But let's talk about the LAFC's last match against FC, Dal- FC Dallas. Um, I was watching the game. Uh, I'm sure Steven did as well. And... After watching that game, I just felt like LAFC were kind of a victim of just not capitalizing on their chances. I thought they could have had uh, a couple more before Dallas scored. Um, did you get the same feeling, Kevin? Yeah, and so did the player. Steven Bettisor said, said after the game that he thought it should have been uh, three or four to nothing at least before Dallas mm-hmm. got its first chance. Um, uh, the the Galaxy, or, uh, LAFC dominated just in about every statistical category. Um, they had uh, twice as many shots, twice as many, almost twice as many shots on target. They uh, they uh, had the ball far longer than uh, um, uh, than Dallas did. I mean, they dominated just about every statistical category. But on on scoreboard, uh, of course, the game was one uh, one. It, it felt like you know LAFC is now unbeaten in the last four, but they had a three game winning streak coming in. So, in in a lot of ways, uh, I think to a lot of people, the the draw felt like a loss because LAFC had dominated the game. Um, they were hot coming in. Um, they scored a goal against a team that at that point had only given up six goals in seven mm-hmm. games. So even even the goal was was a victory. But getting that many shots, that many good looks. Um, uh, they were snake but a little bit too, LAFC was. There was one great opportunity that Carlos Vela had, and he got his feet tangled with a defender and never got a shot off. Um, there were a couple other wide-open nets that they just missed. Uh, Omar Gaber had one late in the, in the second half mm-hmm. that couldn't uh, have by more than a couple of inches. So after the game, I think that the feeling was, yes, the, the, the score was 1-1, but it felt like LAFC had actually lost the game. 
Uh, LAFC have let in quite a bit of goals. They're six in the Western Conference defensively. Do you think it's going to tighten up as the season goes along, as chemistry just gets better and they just get to play with each other more? I know Zimmerman was out for quite a bit of time. I actually think that that's a little bit of a misleading uh, statistic. You're right. They have given up 14 goals this season, but um, Tyler Miller came into that game yesterday tied for the league lead with three shutouts, and he actually should have had four shutouts, um, but he gave up a goal uh, in the second game against Real Salt Lake. He actually stopped the penalty kick, and as he was prone on the ground after stopping the penalty kick, uh, the rebound came out and, and uh, RSL scored on the rebound. So um, if he had any help from his defenders on that, or if he'd just been able to hold on to the stopped penalty kick, he would have four shutouts. The, the problem with the reason it looks like they've given up so many goals is uh, there was a hat trick uh, they gave up in the first half against Montreal. They came back and won that game 5-3. to three. But the other, the two big games were the Atlanta game. They lost LAFC lost five to nothing, and that was actually a two to nothing game in the 88th minute. And then uh, John Mourinho, the the rookie uh, uh, outside back, was called for a foul or a penalty that led to a penalty kick on which they scored. Then he committed another foul shortly after that, was red carded out of the game. There was another penalty kick, and then there was a final uh, goal against a 10-man team in overtime. So they gave up three goals in the last two minutes of regulation and in stoppage time. So that was a 2 to nothing game. They wound up giving up five goals. And then, of course, everybody remembers the last uh, 20 minutes against the Galaxy when they gave up three goals, too, from Zlatan. So take, 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 take away those, the last 20 minutes against the Galaxy and the last two minutes plus stoppage time uh, against Atlanta, and, and you take, uh, what, six goals uh, away, mm-hmm. and all, all of a sudden they've given up eight goals in eight games. So that's much more manageable. No, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, sometimes stats can be mis- misleading, especially when you allow your goals in bunches. But Kevin, I also want to ask you about the attendance, which might be another stat, might be misleading. Um, they announced a sellout, but uh, I remember looking at your Twitter. It looked like it was not sold out. And I mean, I'm, I'm experienced uh, uh, working in Dallas. We know the uh, misleading uh, sellout. Yeah. That's a that's a number one expertise of mine. Um, so. Uh, what was up with that? I mean, I heard it was a beautiful day, but it looked like it wasn't full for their second game. Well, let me – I actually have a little bit of experience and background in this in this very subject. With uh, I did a story a couple of years ago in which I was able to get uh, um, records from – it started with Orlando City. I was able mm-hmm. to actually get a turnstile count because at that time Orlando City was using – they were still in the old football stadium, and that was a – um, a public facility, and, and because of Florida Sunshine laws, they had to uh, they had to give me the the government count, which was a stern a turnstile mm. count, and not the the tickets distributed count. Now, all of MLS and, and other pro leagues do this. They use uh, NHL does it. I believe the NFL and some stadiums uh, do it. They use what's called t- tickets distributed. That does not right. mean that's the number of people in the building. That does not mean even that's the number of tickets sold. If I give you a ticket to the game for free. That's a ticket distributed. You didn't pay for it, and you didn't necessarily go to the game. But that counts. So if I give away 27,000 tickets to a Galaxy game, for example, there could be nobody in the building, and I'm still going to still gonna claim that, that it was sold out at 27,000. Uh, and uh, when I did this story, I found out that some teams like Orlando City, uh, as much as a third of the attendance is a t- is is not necessarily doesn't necessarily coincide with the number of people that either paid or showed up. So MLS atten- the, the point is MLS attendance figures are a little iffy uh, at, at best. 
So now we come to LAFC. Their first game was clearly sold out. Uh, was clearly sold out. Twenty two thousand. Everybody was there. Yesterday was mm-hmm. a little bit more difficult to figure. Um, I I tweeted out a picture before the game started that should, appeared to show about a third of the seats were empty. But in the same picture, if you look closely, you can see hundreds, if not thousands, of people trying to get through the security lines. So uh, you know the prediction was that the, sta- the stadium would fill up probably by the end of the first half. What happened was it was a very hot day in Southern California. Um, it was 96 degrees. They had two water or 86 degrees. They had two water breaks. It was so hot. Um, fans told me on social media that they actually did not go to their seats. That they stayed on the concourse. They watched the game on the big screen. They stood in areas where they could see the field because one side of the field is totally exposed to the sun during the day. Um, so combination of people arriving late, not being able to get through security lines, and then some people not even wanting to go to their seats because of the sun, that made the stadium look like it was not fully uh, fully sold out. The team claimed that they distributed 22,000 tickets, that there were no other tickets that could be bought uh, on the day of the game. I did have some fans reach out to me and say they tried to sell their tickets on, on the secondary market and they got no takers, which means that there wasn't a lot of demand for a Sunday afternoon day game uh, uh, you know, LAFC second game. So I guess I'm not, I'm not as bullish one way or the other. I, I'm not going to say the attendance figure was false because there is a lot of interest. There is a lot of buzz around LAFC and the community. Um, but I don't know, given what I know about LAS or uh, MLS attendance figures, I'm not going to totally buy the fact that every ticket was distributed either. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think it was a very good crowd, but uh, you know, there were clearly some empty seats and they weren't just because people were on the concourse. A lot of the focus of our show here is talking about soccer culture here in America with two clubs in L.A. How has that lined up? Obviously, there's a huge buzz with LAFC with a brand new stadium, all the different owners, uh, you know, Carlos Vela. But then you have Ibra on the other side. But how is the city reacting to having two clubs? And is this going to help promote the sport or is it? kind of you know in some sense la has a bad reputation as a sports town because it's sunny and people want to go to beach or go do other things it's hollywood it's all there well having lived in miami for seven years and worked covering sports in miami i can tell you that miami is a far more difficult sports market than la la has now Mm -hmm. la has 11 professional teams if you count the wnba sparks they have two teams in every major sports league there's two major college programs so if you look at attendance across the board i mean the dodgers um, always lead the major leagues in attendance. The Angels are always in the top five. Um, the the Kings claim that they've sold out uh, something like 300 consecutive games. The Ducks do very well. So there are a lot of people that go to games, and there and there is that old um, uh, that old rumor that, uh, and it's largely true, which is why it's still around that fans arrive late and leave early because of the traffic. That's true, but. L.A. fans are not nearly as fickle as fans in Miami, and I think the David Beckham group is going to find out when they get started that that the buzz of that first season is going to be really good, and they're they're going to have uh, strong attendance. But if they don't win, um, you know, Miami gets behind a winner, but it doesn't get behind a, a middle of the pack team. Um, in L.A., it's it's a little bit different. Um, there are loyalties. One thing we've seen already with the the first LAFC Galaxy game is the derby here is going to be great, and it's already off to a good start, and it's going to be very emotional. That first game was, of course, one for the ages. Um, so that's going to be very emotional. But, but people have tried to define the two teams, and it largely breaks down as LAFC, despite the fact they have 30 owners, uh, of which most are millionaires, um, if not multimillionaires, um, and, and they have a 
$350 million downtown stadium, the richest stadium, most expensive stadium in MLS history. Despite all that money that is around the club, they are trying to claim that they are the gritty, urban, inner-city team. And that's that's what they want to be, and that's sort of the the persona that they claim. Um, By definition, that makes the Galaxy sort of the, the, the white suburban team. And, you know, there's a way you can look at the Galaxy and kind of see that that's what they are. They, they are a suburban team. They draw fairly uh, well from Orange County, um, uh, you know, which is an affluent uh, uh, suburb area of Los Angeles. Um, so there, there is some truth to all those things. But there is a, a real soccer culture developing here and, and sort of the if you claim to be an LAFC supporter, you are claiming a certain uh, description. You're claiming that you are uh, um, uh, diverse, that you're from the inner city, um, that you are multicultural, all those kind of things, if you, if, and, and that you're new and that you're an upstart and you're aggressive and, and you're millennial. All those things are, are uh, words that are associated with LAFC, rightly or wrongly. That's, that's sort of the, the persona they've claimed. So if you're an LAFC fan, those are the things you are. By definition, they would say that if you're a Galaxy fan, that's what you are. You are suburban. Uh, you are a little bit more um, um, uh, conservative. You are a little bit more established. It's the traditional team. They talk about their five MLS Cups, and LAFC says, you, you know, what have you done for us lately? We're the team of now. And so there, there is sort of this, this soccer culture growing up between the two teams, and I, I do think it's good for the league because this is the second largest uh, market in the league. It has two teams now. Chivas USA really at the end was not, uh, was not really a, a viable uh, franchise in MLS. Now you have two strong teams with their own identities and their own building, and I think that's another thing that, that hurt L.A. before. Chivas tried to have an identity, but it was an identity borrowed from the Mexican League team. Mm-hmm. They tried to be their own club. They played in the same stadium and trained at the same facility as the Galaxy. Now we have two distinctly different teams with their own identities, their own homes, their own training facilities, their own ownership groups. Uh, it's much different, and I do think it's, it's going to be great for uh, the league, and I think the, the Derby, uh, in very short order, I think is going to be much more emotional and more important than the New York Derby between the Red Bulls and, and uh, New York City FC. It's funny we just actually talked about uh, we just actually talked about that, um, Kevin. I wanted to talk uh, about the Galaxy, and ever since that amazing—I mean, I can't—I run out of words to talk about it. That amazing uh, El Trafico match, uh, the four-three win over LAFC. They haven't been that hot. Um, they've dropped four out of the last five, including four straight uh, at home. Um, I, I watched uh, the end of the uh, Dynamo Galaxy game where they allowed the late goal to uh, to Memo Rodriguez. And um, is Ziggy Smith on the hot seat? Well, it that depends on who you ask. Some people say yes. Um, there are some people within the locker room that, that kind of went into the season believing that Ziggy might not make it to the end. But they were saying it wasn't so much he was on the hot seat. It was just um, health issues. He just doesn't seem... He doesn't seem uh, healthy this year. He doesn't seem to have a whole lot of energy. I, I cannot independently verify that. I'm not around the team all the time, but that's the feeling among uh, that had been the feeling at least among some on the team. Um, you you can look at it a number of different ways. I mean, he is the winningest coach in MLS history. The one thing with changing a coach or a manager is it, it, just getting the guy that you have in there out. That's only half of the equation. The other half is who do you bring in. So when you look at the Galaxy, who do they bring in? They have the winningest coach in MLS history. Has has the game passed him by a little bit? Well, you know, he, he was fired in Seattle, and, and Brian Smetcher took over, and they won the MLS Cup that year. So 
clearly he had the tools to to have been doing better than he was when he was fired. You can look at this team and say, what else does he need? He's got Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's got one of the greatest players of his generation. He's got Ola Kamara, one of the best strikers in MLS. Um, you know, he's got a, a good captain in Ashley Cole. David Bingham, I think, has played fairly well in goal. He's got a good team. He's got the Dos Santos brothers uh, uh, who have not played to, up to their capability, I don't think, although Gio's really come on the last couple of weeks. So he certainly has the tools. It's not like last year when, when Kurt Anoffel was handed a team that was in, tradi- uh, in transition with a bunch of young mm-hmm. players. Ziggy has the tools. And you look at a game like, like yesterday's, as you mentioned, the Galaxy uh, came back, came from behind twice. They were down by a goal twice, came behind, tied the game late, and then gave up a goal with two minutes left in regulation to lose that game. As you mentioned, they've lost four of their last five. The only game they've won in that streak was a one to nothing game in Chicago on a terrible, horrible day for any sport. Um, and they won that game on a goal by Zlatan in first half stoppage time. That easily could have been a draw or, or even could have gone the other way. So the point is they haven't played very well lately. They haven't looked like a dominant team. Um, Zlatan came in and they won two of their first three with him, scoring the game-winning goal in both those games. Um, and he's had a couple of assists since then, but they just haven't been uh, a good team. And you look at them and it's hard to find out why. You, it's difficult to point to one thing. They, they have changed formations. They've tried to, to shake things up. They've tried to find a good place for Zlatan to play, but what that has meant is that guys like Omar Kamara, Ola Kamara and uh, Roman Alessandrini are now playing in positions they are not comfortable in. And so, uh, and now Gio is, is sort of now emerged as trying to be that playmaker. Um, not sure if that's really the role that they wanted him to play, but he's doing a pretty good job with that in the last two games. So it, it's, it's a team that appears to be trying to figure out what their personality is, who they are, and how they want to play. And, and you can look at that and say, yeah, that's the coach's fault. The coach should have been able to figure this out by now. But again, if you're one of those people that wants to, to, to move Ziggy and, patient, and you know, the impatience is starting to grow, who do you get? Um, certainly Bruce Arena is a guy that um, is here in Southern California, right up the freeway, he doesn't have a job right now, has a long history with the Galaxy, knows the people there very well. Would he want to come back? I don't know. Dave Sarakin... Uh, another guy that uh, is the interim U.S. national team coach, another guy that lives right up the freeway, has a long history with the Galaxy, is a very good coach. Might he be somebody they go and get? Or is, is, are they going to let Ziggy you know, work this out? Um, th- I do think that they need, if, if things don't turn around quickly, I do think that they need to make a decision soon because right now they're 3-5-1. and one. Uh, They're out of the playoff picture right now. They're in eighth place. Um, I will say one other thing, though, while we're talking about this, is when you look at the Galaxy's early season schedule, their first eight games were all against teams, with one exception. All Seven of the first eight games were against teams that made the playoffs last year. The only team right. they played in the first eight that didn't make the playoffs was LAFC uh, because they weren't in the league last year, but now they're the second-best team in the conference. <laughs> and, and it continues to get bad. They play Dallas next week. Then they get a little bit uh, of a breather against Montreal and San Jose, but then they come back and get Dallas, Portland, Real Salt Lake. So um, it's a very tough early season schedule. Conversely, you look at LAFC, and they're off to a 5-2-1 and one star, and they look great. Well, they haven't played the same tough schedule. You know, They've had uh, um, some games that, when you just look at the competition, would appear to be much easier. They played Seattle twice. Seattle's in last place. They played Montreal um, so it, I think the Galaxy also have been hurt momentum-wise from their tough early season schedule. 
You know, Kevin, we were joking off off the mic before he came on that now that Arsene Wenger has gone from Arsenal, he should come to MLS and LA Galaxy would be a perfect landing spot for him. You know, I've heard that, and I haven't taken that seriously because I try to wrap my head around Arsene Wenger. Um, all that he's accomplished and all that he's done coming to MLS, um, certainly I, I suppose someone could find the money somewhere, but you know, why would he want to do that? I just don't see right. that as being as being a good fit. Um, but every time I say something like that, I mean, I can make the argument, and we could talk for hours, and I could totally convince you that th- that would be the dumbest thing Arsene Wenger could do. <laughs> but that's kind of the same argument I would have made with some of these other players that have wound up in MLS. Uh, I never thought uh, after Zlatan went to Manchester United that he would come to MLS after that, and here he is. So mm. it- it's difficult. It- it's tough to know, but I will say this about any of those big names, whether it's a, a manager like Arsene Wenger, someone who might be available after the World Cup, um, that's a time when a lot of coaches move around. Uh, and, and some of the big-name players, I think you're going to see some big-name players come to MLS after the World Cup as well, maybe a Chicharito who's definitely not going to go back to West Ham. But when those players come, um, I think you're going to see them go to Seattle, either the L.A. clubs or the, or uh, you know one of the New York clubs. And it's just not because of sort of the money. Uh, but the prestige, the you know, people in Europe, in South America, they know the Galaxy, they know the Red Bulls. Um, they don't necessarily know Sporting Kansas City or the Columbus Crew. Um, you know, smaller communities, smaller towns, um, not as cosmopolitan, not as diverse with the language skills and things that mm-hmm. some of the, the players from Latin America appreciate. Um, I do know there's one big-name player playing in a, mid, in a Midwestern city that came over from Europe, a very high-profile player whose, whose name I won't mention because he told me this in confidence, but um, very unhappy with where he is. And he's actually talked to people with the Galaxy saying, is there any way that the league can work out a transfer and get me to Los Angeles? Oh, um, wow. A lot of the players that come here, when they come, they've already made their money. You know, They, they don't really – and you look at Zlatan, he's here for $1.5 million a year. Um, so they don't come here necessarily for the money. They come here for a lot of other things, and the lifestyle is a big part of that. And and this is not to say anything bad about about Kansas City or or Salt Lake or or Columbus. I mean, you know, they're all great places to live. But if you're coming from Europe and you've lived in Rome or you've lived in Munich or you've lived in in London, um, an LA or a New York or even a Seattle with a great soccer culture there is a little bit of an easier transition um, than going to one of these smaller towns where soccer may not be the most important sport there. That's. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes we see that in Dallas as well, especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, even though you'd be living in Dallas, I mean, I guess you technically wouldn't be living in Dallas because they do play in Frisco and you have to travel to Frisco every day. And I don't know if you want to make that hour-long drive, this or that. And it doesn't have the prestige, such as you mentioned, as a New York or a Los Angeles. But, Kevin, I want to ask you about the Zlatan effect in L.A. On the field... He has been he has been making he has been making plays and has been uh, scoring a, a couple goals here or there. But is he getting a little frustrated? Because I remember I know Alexi Lawless I think mentioned this, and I know it's Alexi Lawless, but I mean I think it was a it was a good point uh, in terms of that Zlatan is, is is coming to a team that really isn't the best in its league or one of the top ones in its league. They're kind of, eh. so do you think he he's kind of a getting up uh maybe a little upset with how it's going so far i i do i think that he he's mentioned to uh, a few players in the locker room he's he's chastised some players for not 
um, uh, for giving uh, one particular player, he talked to about uh, giving the ball up too easily, not making the crisp passes that Zalatan wants, not to feed him the ball in the right position where he's prepared to receive it. And I, I think to me that was like Zlatan still thinks he's playing for Manchester United, and this is not a knock on anyone who's on the LA Galaxy, but but the reason a lot of these players are in MLS are are, are and playing for the LA Galaxy is because frankly they're not good enough to play in the Premier League. If they were, if they were DeAndre Yedlin or 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 Jeff Cameron, they'd be playing there. I mean, you know, so the, the fact that they're not there, you know, is sort of suggests that they you haven't had the opportunity. They're just not good enough to play there. So, so a lot of times looking around and he's wondering why these players aren't, uh, you know, EPL caliber. Well, that's why they're in MLS. I, I don't think he has mentioned that the league, that the, the, the pace of play in the league and the, the style of play is much different from England. He's talked about that. He's been, you know, very upfront about it. I don't think he realized just how deep the drop-off was. And then there have been a couple of games that he's played in this year where the, the, the officiating has just been atrocious. And so I think Zolatan looks around and says, these guys aren't as good as I thought they would be. The, the refereeing is horrible. Um, we go play in, he went to, you know, his first road game was in Chicago. So he went to Bridgeview, Illinois, and trained in the middle of that pasture and then played the game there when it was, uh, I think 20, the windshield was 26 degrees. Um, so he's seen. He's got off to a rough start, experience-wise, in MLS with the team struggling, uh, with the style of play, with injuries, with the travel. Um, so I think he. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was getting a little frustrated that he's perhaps thinking this is not what I signed up for. And it's a. It, it is a different Galaxy team. If he had come a couple of years ago, when Bruce Arena had that great off season when he signed Nigel the Young, Ashley Cole. Uh, you know, they had Steven Gerrard with the team then, I believe, and Robbie Keane. Um, that was a different team, and you could come in as a European player and uh, look around and feel like you had some people that were going through the same thing you were experiencing, the same thing, um, had been in the same places, and, and there was some uh, maybe a little bit more camaraderie. I, I will say those players did not mix well, all of them anyway, did not mix well with the MLS players, so there were some 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 problems in the locker room, but Zlatan's, with the exception of perhaps Ashley Cole, Zlatan's kind of, you know, on his own in this experience. And it is a little bit difficult. And, and I, I, he has not said anything manifestly that would uh, tell us that he's frustrated. But I think you can look at his expressions on the field and just knowing that the way the team is struggling. I mean, this is a guy who has won league championships in every league that he's played in. He does not play on losing teams. He said the other day when they lost, I think, their third in a row at home, he said, and no one looked it up, um, and I'm not sure if it was a throw of the line, but he said he'd never played on a team that lost three games in a row before. Um, so that's the kind of experience he's had. He's got to be frustrated. Kevin, we really appreciate it. Go ahead and just tell us where we can find your content and where we can uh, follow you on Twitter. Yeah, LA Times, latimes.com online. Uh, all the soccer stuff's right there at the bottom of the, of the sports page online. Uh, there's a little soccer tab down in the bottom right. And then on Twitter, kbaxter11. Everything gets posted there as well. Awesome, Kevin. We appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Fantastic interview with Kevin Baxter. We're back here on Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. 
Um, Stephen, what was your take from 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 the from the interview here? A lot of interesting information um, laid out by Kevin. I know we joked about it off the show, off the mic, and we briefly mentioned it to Kevin about Arsene Wenger coming to MLS. You know, it's not that bad of a take, and this is coming from Jake. You're the one that brought this up, and I have to say it's not that bad of an idea if you're LA Galaxy. Because you know you know what that would do for Zlatan? It would tell it would shut him up. He has well, to respect Arsene Wenger. He he would right? I I he would have to at least respect the fact that he's coming from Arsenal and he's been at the club for over two decades. Right? Wait, that I mean, would yeah, shut I would, him I would, up. I would, I would I would agree. Yeah, I mean like what's he gonna do? Arsene Wenger, you don't know anything? Uh well he does. So I mean I I mean well, like I said, I think it makes sense too because I mean, if you're Wagner, I mean, do you really want to coach in Europe longer, or do you want to come to America, where I'd say there might not be as much pressure on him as it as like Arsenal pressure, right? Uh, and you're entering the latter stages of your life, like maybe why not give it one more go in a different league? They the reports out of England a while back were something that Arsene Wenger would take a, an international job, which I think the U.S. men's national team would be fun to, to see him be the, at the no, helm. No, no, it wouldn't. No, and no. <laughs> difficult no. conversation for another day. And um, he would do some sort of sporting director role, whatever that may be. I don't know. He loves Arsenal. He's a fan of the club, so maybe he finds something in on the board. I don't know. Maybe he comes to MLS. I don't know. Coming to MLS would at his age would be a, a a lot of work a ton of travel not very comforting uh the stadiums are not the best you play in some high class stadiums and then you have to travel to columbus and it's just you know you just get a mixture of good bad and crap no yeah but i'm really intrigued by the player that uh, uh kevin was talking about that um is unhappy at his Midwest club and yeah. was asking to be moved to L.A. We do have uh, audio of that particular clip. Let's go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and play it so that way we get to really dig into what Baxter says here. Um, you know, smaller communities, smaller towns, um, not as cosmopolitan, not as diverse with the language skills and things that mm-hmm. some of the, the players from Latin America appreciate. Um, I do know there's one big name player playing in a mid in a midwestern city that came over from Europe, a very high profile player whose whose name I won't mention because he told me this in confidence, but um, very unhappy with where he is, and he's actually talked to people with the galaxy saying, "Is there any way that the league can work out a transfer and get me to Los Angeles?" Oh, um, wow. A lot of the players that come here, when they come, they've already made their. So Armand, who is this player? High profile, coming from Europe. In the Midwest, and our research points us to four clubs this could be. You want to name those four clubs for us? Yeah, after looking at a map of the Midwest. <laughs> um, I, I can't believe you had to Google this, by the way. <laughs> I want to confirm. I want to confirm, okay? Like, you, you see, like, it could be different. I mean, Stephen thought Salt Lake was part of the Midwest. No, 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 oh, not okay. Salt Lake. <laughs> Colorado is anything. Colorado. You can't Colorado. say it was Salt Lake. Oh, please. Okay, you see, even worse. But it was... Uh, <laughs> I threw him under the bus because he had to Google what the Midwest was. 